So we are so glad that you're here. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors around here at both of our campuses. I think you're in the right place. Uh, Metro is a place about taking your next steps with God. And so I pray that you're open to that. I hope that you're ready for that and that you will ask God, even while we begin to talk today, that you will ask God to speak into your life because I believe that he will. So I heard a story recently about a kind of an everyday good citizen, old man type of a guy who was uh, driving down the road one day and he was being tailgated by, by a woman driver who was a little out of control. And she was kind of just riding his tail, riding his tail, riding his tail. And of course, they come up to this stoplight. The, the, the guy's in the lead. He's out front. And, and uh, being a good citizen, being a good old kind of guy, he jams on the brakes and he stops at this yellow light that, I mean, if he was like me, he could have gunned it and gone right through. I get it. Okay. But he didn't. He, he stopped. And this woman kind of comes right up on his tail. And she is like, she's not having it. She's just not having it. She is upset and she is letting this guy know like she is on the, you know, laying on the horn and giving him all kinds of signals and signs, if you know what I mean, and uh, let, letting it all fly, just, you know, just letting him go. And, and she's in the middle of this, you know, cursing kind of a rant and all of a sudden uh, she hears a little knock on the window, like right in the middle of traffic, like right there, boom, just and she turns and only to see a very, very serious officer standing right outside her window. And the officer says, get out of the car. Get out of the car. Hands up, out of the car. And he proceeds to arrest her on the site and bring her back to his squad car and takes her to the office and, you know, the, the headquarters and all that. Books her, you know, mugshot. The whole deal. They put her in a holding cell, and uh, and she's there. And she's like wondering what is going on. And she's in this holding cell uh, about an hour and a half. And about an hour and a half later, uh, one of the captains comes in and says, "Ma'am, uh, you know, uh, we we need to go." And and so the captain takes this woman back to the arresting officer, who meets her with all of her personal effects and. And the arresting officer says, ma'am, I, I need to apologize to you. I, I'm so, so sorry. Uh, I think I made a mistake. You see, when I pulled up behind you and you were pulled up behind that nice old man, um, I, I saw that you were, you know, in the, you were cussing and, and giving him the bird and you were just laying on the horn. And, and when I walked, you know, pulled up behind your car, I, I saw that your car had a choose life uh, license plate holder, and then I saw on the left your bumper sticker that says, follow me to Sunday school, and on the right it said, what would Jesus do? And then of course I see the little Christian fish emblem that so many Christians have on their car, and, and I saw the cross kind of waving from your rear view mirror. I had, uh, I, I jumped to a conclusion, I, I just jumped to the conclusion that this car was obviously stolen. <laughs> right? So let me read a couple things to you, and uh, I will make no comment on them. I want the power of these words just to settle in on you a little bit. So here's the first one. First of four statements. Mark Twain, a famous author, poet, commentator on American life, he once wrote a letter to himself, which, by the way, is now on display in the Mark Twain Memorial Museum in Hartford, Connecticut, and it reads like this. Always do right... It will gratify some people and it will astonish the rest. Truly yours, Mark Twain, New York, February 16th, 1901. Second thing I want to read to you. Abraham Lincoln wrote this in one of his memoirs. 
I desire so to conduct the affairs of this administration that if at the end, when I come to lay down the reins of power, I have lost every other friend on earth, I shall have at least one friend and that friend shall be deep down inside of me. Third thing, writer Nathaniel Hawthorne once wrote this. No man can for any considerable time wear one face to himself and another face to the multitude without finally getting confused as to which one is true. Come on. Here's the fourth one. I don't know who to give credit to for this, but I once heard this, uh, and I believe it to be true with all of my heart. It doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian. It takes all of him. It takes every part of him. You know, we've been in this series called Virtues, and we have been talking about the inner qualities of a man or a woman that make them different. Uh, the idea of this idea of character, this idea of virtue inside of you, it, it's hard to define this thing. But when you see it, you know it to be true. When you see it, you just know that there is something different and dare I even say something beautiful about this type of person. The idea of character, the idea of virtue is this inner quality that we have that helps us to rise above the downward pole of our world. Does anybody know what that's like? That, you, that, that, that there is this downward pole of this world. And God wants us to grow this inner character inside of us that reflects him, that helps us to move against that downward Pull. And so we've been talking about this idea of virtue. And, and we've hit on some pretty, pretty important subjects, subjects that are long forgotten in our world. We, we talked about this idea of loyalty in a world that is a throwaway sort of a world when this person or this thing is not working for us anymore, just move on, who cares? Loyalty is lacking in our world, wouldn't you agree? We, we talked about this idea of perseverance and that uh, the whole world says, just quit. You, you got to be happy. Just quit. Just get out whenever you want to get out. Just quit. But God says, no, no, no. Some things are worth the fight. Right? And, and we talked about this idea of humility, that, that there is this pride, this self sort of glorification that wells up inside of us. And if we are not careful, it will move the hand of God against us instead of for us. God, what? He loves the humble but opposes the, the proud. And we talked about this lost virtue of humility. And then we talked about honor last week and how difficult it is to honor and respect. And I think most of us would walk out of here going, you know what, that's true. Our world is missing this kind of mutual respect, this honor that we give somebody just because they are a child of God, that they're created in the image and the likeness of God. And we talked about the idea that honor, when it's done right, it can infuse something into a relationship, into a person, and it can help elevate them to becoming what they are not naturally on their own. Anybody hear me on this? That honor lifts and dishonor destroys. Anybody? Y'all with me on this? And so today I want to talk to you about a new kind of a virtue, a virtue that is long lost in our society. Uh, one that we almost never even think of anymore. And it's this idea of integrity. Integrity. And I think we need to talk about this because it should not be forgotten. So here's how we want to begin. We want to pray. Both of our campuses, I want to pray and I want you to ask God to speak to you. I want to get out of the way and let God speak to you. So let's just take a moment and ask God to do just that. So God in heaven, 
we humble our hearts before you and we ask that you would speak, that we would hear, that we would be willing to listen and to obey you. Speak, O oh God, for your child is listening. Amen? Amen. So if you have a Bible, I would love for you to find the book of Mark. Mark was one of the early followers of Jesus. Uh, he goes about recording some of the stories of Jesus. And we're going to turn to Mark chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, we'll turn the house lights up a little bit so you can read. If you have a smartphone, uh, would you just Google Mark 12 and it'll be a small miracle. It'll come right up there and it'll be free for you, okay? So Mark chapter 12, and what is so interesting about this passage to me is that we talk about the stories of Jesus often around here, and we listen to his teaching, but this is a little bit different. This is a statement made about who Jesus is, what kind of man he was, and I think you're going to find this rather interesting. It says this, in Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 14, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 14, it says, very simply, they came to him. Now, I think we need to hit the pause button because you hear all kinds of statements like this in the Bible, and if you don't ask the question, who are they, who are they? Who, who's the they that they're talking about? I think that's a fair question because they're gonna say something and they're gonna do something that's gonna affect this little story. So the question is, is who are the they in this little storyline. And it says, they came to him. And so the they here is very interesting. It's, it's two groups of people. If you were to read up the chain, you would see that the Pharisees and the Herodians, they come to Jesus. Now, both sets are, are Jewish people, Hebrew people, and they're part of the ruling class over the Jewish people. But they are on very different opposite ends of the political spectrum, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, what's interesting is the Pharisees some of you may remember that, that they are this religious group of Jewish people that want to go back to the days of Moses. They want to go back to the law of, of Moses. They want, their, their glory and their hope is that somehow Israel will be reunited under this kind of a kingship like they had under David. They want to be this religious nation that lives under the law of Moses. Deeply religious group of people. And the Herodians are on the kind of the opposite and they're Jewish people, but they're non-religious Jewish people. They were mostly a political group that were loyal to King Herod. Anybody ever hear of Herod? Anybody? The Christmas story. He's in the center of the Christmas story. So who's King Herod? King Herod is this king over much of the Middle East that was installed by, by Rome to subdue the Jewish people. Herod is a Jew, but he's loyal to Rome and people who are loyal to Herod, thus loyal to Rome, were called Herodians. And they're a political ruling class of people in this day. And here's what I find so interesting about the little story that we are going to read. You ready for this? Very interesting. Have you ever heard of the old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend? The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And you're gonna see that there is no love lost at all between the Herodians and the Pharisees. They were on polar opposite side, but they had a mutual enemy and his name was Jesus. I want you to think about this. What would make two enemies hate Jesus more than they hate each other? Well, we're going to find out. See, the Pharisees, 
the Pharisees were this religious group that had their relationship with God was built on this series of do's and don'ts and sacrificial system, and they wanted to insert themselves right in the middle of the God-man relationship. They said, your way to God is through us. Your way to get to know who he is is through us. And Jesus comes into the system and says, no, 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 no. You do not need a man to stand in the middle of your relationship with God. It is between you and God. And, and what the Pharisees made it out to be is a system of do's and don'ts. But God says it's more than that. It is a matter of the heart. And so Jesus says, no, 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 no. Your relationship works from the inside out. You love God and you obey God, not because of fear, not because of this series of do's and don'ts so that you can measure up. Matter of fact, you will never measure up to God. Jesus comes and says this. He says, you should obey God because you love him because of the grace given to you, because of the forgiveness of the sin in your life that God will give you. So he says it's a matter of the heart. And this stands in direct contrast to the Pharisees. So they don't like him. Now think about the Herodians. Why don't they like Jesus? Well, because the Herodians have finally figured out how to live under the oppressive rule of Rome and make a profit off of it. They have become loyal to Herod. And so they become this kind of ruling class. It's like when people go to Washington, they come out, they go in poor, they come out rich because they have figured out how to, to game the system. Correct? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And so the Herodians were just this. They figured out how their loyalty to Herod could benefit them. And Jesus comes along and he says, he says, Caesar is not God. Caesar is not Lord. As a matter of fact, the kingdom of Caesar stands in exact opposite of what the kingdom of God is all about. Anybody ever remember reading any of the words of Jesus? And you hear often over and over, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near to you. You belong to the kingdom of God. And Caesar says, it's my kingdom. It's my world. And Jesus says, you're nobody unless God allows you to be somebody. Come on, anybody? And so the Herodians are seeing a threat to their way of life. And Jesus is like, I'm not on either side. And these, so these people come into this scene where they're both my enemy, the enemy of my enemy is still my friend, right? So they both come and they go to Jesus. They say, don't you realize who we are? Don't you realize what we can do for you? You want to insert yourself into the teachings of the lands of Israel and you're nobody without us. And Jesus looks at them and says, huh? What? Look at this. It says this, so they came to him and they said, teacher, we know that you are a man of, what's this word? Integrity. And I love this. It says, you aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance to the what? Truth. Even the enemies of Jesus look at him and they go, something is different about this guy. He is not like anybody else who comes along. Have you ever seen a politician? Oh, I believe this. And then the crowd says another thing. Oh, I believe that. And Jesus was having nothing to do with that. They knew that there was something different in him, something deep inside of him. There was a virtue, a, a character, this kind of integrity that he would not bow to the opinions of men. He would not bend to the current 
swathes of what would be called true at that moment. There was something deeper that was holding him and standing his ground, right? And I love this line. It says, you are not swayed by men because you, know, you pay no attention to who they are. And you gotta love this, right? Because they're thinking, do you know who we are? You need to bow to us. And Jesus says, I ain't bowing. I ain't bowing to you, to Caesar, or to anybody. And I'm like, I like that. <laughs> I'm about that, right? And, and so Jesus doesn't fit in anywhere in this political spectrum. And, and there's something that is driving him that is different than everybody else. And they say this, they say, teacher, we know that you are a man of, what is the word? Integrity. There's something elevating you above the downward pole of this world. And what about us? What about us? Look, look at this ancient writing that comes from the Old Testament part of the Bible. It's found in the book of 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, verse 17. I'm just going to read one simple verse. It'll be up on the screens for you. It says, I know, my God, that you test the what? The heart, and you are pleased with, what is it called? Integrity. The, the scripture paints this picture in the Old Testament where God is looking over the earth and he's looking at men and he's looking at women, he's looking at old people, he's looking at young people, and he says, I search for one who is fully devoted, who my, who, whose eyes are fixed on, on the things of God, one who has not a heart that is swayable, but a heart filled with, what is the word we're talking about? Integrity. And it says, God is pleased with the man or the woman who will not bow to this world, but whose heart is filled with integrity. Listen to this. I heard, I heard a story about a hillbilly uh, who lived in the hills of Kentucky. Not our campus pastor at the, at the Taylor campus. Different guy, okay? Different guy. But from the same area, so there might be something here. I'm not really sure. But uh, this, this guy is your typical Hills of Kentucky guy. He's missing a couple teeth. His hair is crazy. He wears bib overhauls all the time. And this was way back in the 1800s. And so uh, this guy uh, barely graduated the eighth grade, you know, the whole deal. And one day, this guy uh, shows up at the local train station. And all his friends see him at the train station. But this time he's totally different. He's all dressed up. He took a shower and he, he's got his hair, you know, kind of clean. And he's not wearing his bibs. And he's holding this big old black family King James Bible. Like big old Bible. And his friends are going, what is, what is going on? And so they go and they say, what are you doing? You're all dressed up and you're not your new, normal self. And he goes, oh, I'm going to New Orleans. I'm going to New Orleans. And they're like, oh, you're going to New Orleans. Okay, what, what, what's, what, why are you going? They go, well, he goes, well, there's lots of gambling, free running liquor everywhere, lots of fast girls and naughty shows. And the friends go, well, we don't understand. What, if, you're, if you're going, if there's, if there's lots of gambling and free running liquor and fast girls and naughty shows, why are you carrying the family Bible then? And then this guy goes, well, if it's as good as people say, I might just stay over to Sunday morning. Now, listen, friends. <laughs> we laugh at a little joke about hypocrisy, but hypocrisy is no joke. It destroys 
the soul. It destroys your soul and it destroys my soul. Hypocrisy destroys us from the inside out. Hypocrisy destroys our influence. It destroys our ability to be real and to be honest with those around us. It, it destroys our trustworthiness. Hypocrisy destroys our relationship. It destroys our marriages. It destroys our parent-child relationship. It, it destroys character from the inside. It, it destroys, listen to me, friends, it destroys our faith. It empties our soul. And it's true of your life and it's true of my life. Um, one of the pastors that I've read from time to time, his name is Stuart Briscoe, and he's written a couple books, and he's a very good guy. And he tells the story of before he was in ministry full-time, he was a bank manager uh, in the business world. And uh, he, he tells of a time where uh, the partner who was kind of running this bank with him uh, was caught embezzling a lot of money, like a, a lot of money. And this guy was supposed to be this Christian guy, a good, upstanding citizen, and he was embezzling all this money. And when it came out, like he, he was asked, well, why did you, why did you steal all this all this money. Why did you do this? And what came out was very interesting. He had two completely separate lives. He, uh, he had uh, two wives, two sets of kids, two homes in two different cities, and neither one knew about the other. Two completely different lives. And he said, I simply couldn't afford to maintain this anymore, so I had to steal something. And then what was so striking to me, this was actually stunning. I mean, just stunning on the news. This guy who's caught, you know, they were you know, talking to him, and he said, I'm deeply sorry. I, I, what I've done is absolutely wrong. And then what most stunning part was this. This is what was really stunning. He said, but my real struggle, this guy's saying this, my real struggle is whether or not I should continue my preaching duties at the church that I pastor. Now, Briscoe says that for the next several months in that little community, that he... Uh, he spent the next several months just picking up the pieces where people in his bank and his employees, they, they said that, that's, that, that religion is fake, that the whole God-man relationship, this whole Christian thing is just fake. You look at this and the people of that church are fake and the people of your church are fake. And, and here's why, friends. It's something that you already know internally that, that people hate hypocrisy. And they will quickly dismiss anybody of faith who is not living up to what they say they what? Believe, right? Now listen, friends, I don't think they expect us to be perfect. I don't think they expect us to get it right all the time. But I think the people on the outside who are looking at insiders like many of us in this room, they look at us and they go, we expect you to make an effort to live out what you say you believe. I don't think they expect us to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. But they want to know that it's real. And they want to know that, that our faith is affecting every area of our life. And they expect us to knock ourselves out trying to live up to the commitments that we say we believe. And friends, it's not only people on the outside who hate hypocrisy. I hate the hypocrisy inside of me. And my guess is that you don't need a preacher to point out the hypocrisy inside of you. And my guess is that you hate it inside of you as much as I hate it inside of me. It doesn't take 
much of a man to be a Christian. It takes all of him. The world is sick of looking at people who proclaim one thing, but live a different. Christian men, Christian women, Christian leaders, Christian musicians, Christian teenagers who stand to our feet and what are we saying? We say, you can move a mountain, something like that, and you can do it again. And they see us come into a place like this and raise our little hands and clap our little hands and give a few dollars and then they see us walk out in the world and live something else. And the world looks at this and they say, I don't get it. If you really do believe in a God that is so big and so good and so strong and so powerful, why do you look just like the rest of the world? Friends, can I just be honest about us? And if you're like kind of on the outside looking in, if you're not a Christian and this is embarrassing stuff, but you need to hear us just admit it. We lie, we are dishonest, this is what we do, we're deceptive, we're irresponsible, we treat each other with disrespect, we are rude, we are self-seeking, we hold grudges, uh, we're bitter, we're cliquish, we're immoral and perverted, just like the rest of the world, we entertain ourselves with the same doggone stuff that the world entertains themselves with, we neglect the poor, we neglect the hurting, the outcasts, we think we're better than other people, we don't love like Jesus, we don't, we're not holy like Jesus, we don't care like Jesus cares, we, we don't uh, sacrificially give like Jesus sacrificially gives, heck, we don't look like Jesus at all. We make commitments only to break them. We give up when we fail instead of fighting through. We don't forgive easily. We waste our time. We're self-indulgent. We're in our self-pursuit. We entertain ourselves like it's some sort of religion. And we're apathetic about things that God has called us to. That's who we are. And friends, something has to change. It doesn't take much of a man to be a Christian. It takes all of him, every part of who he is to follow God. Friends, I believe it makes the world sick when, when they see my hypocrisy. I think it makes the world sick when they see your hypocrisy. I think it makes the world sick when they see the collective hypocrisy of the church when we say we believe one thing, but we do not live it out. When they see people who believe in the freedom that comes from knowing God go back to the same bondage over and over and over and over again, only for us to say, well, I'm human. I'm human. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I think the world gets that. But what the world does not get, and what I think our Heavenly Father does not get, is how we can stay stuck in one spot for all of our life. Where we're not moving forward where things aren't changing to reflect more and more of him and less and less of us. The late great preacher once said it like this, Billy Graham said it like this, the single greatest reason for atheism in the world today are Christians who acknowledge God with their lips but deny him with their lifestyles. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I want you to see this, friends. Anybody hear me on this? 
Are you hearing me? I want you to, I want you to see this. Listen, you may want to take a picture of this. You may want to write this down. But integrity is doing right things motivated by the right reasons. Integrity is doing right things motivated by the right reasons and you lose your integrity, you will lose your influence. You lose your integrity, you will lose your authority. You lose your integrity, you will lose your joy. You lose your integrity, you will lose your faith. All right, that went over great. Amen? Amen. You and I are called to a virtuous life, a life of integrity. You and I are called to be the same all the way through. There is this little verse, you don't have to turn there, I'll put it up on the screen for you. It's, it's in the Bible book called Titus. It's in the New Testament part of the Bible and it's uh, ch chapter two. I'm just gonna read three verses for you. It says, similarly, encourage young men to be what? Self-control. In everything, set for them an example by doing what is what? Good. In your teaching, Titus, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you will be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. In other words, um, listen, Paul, he, by the way, he comes to this uh, island called Crete. And that's where Titus becomes the pastor. He comes to this island. It's the fourth largest island in the Mediterranean Sea. And he comes there and he, he shares what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And all these people become Christians. And this little church starts to grow and grow and grow. And all of a sudden, this young disciple named Titus uh, grows in his faith in such a way that, that Paul says, Titus, you are going to be the shepherd of these people. You're going to pastor these people. And Titus, listen, you don't have to be the best speaker on a stage. You don't have to be able to play the guitar or play the drums or make cool videos or do any of that stuff. But one thing you must do is you must teach the word of God and then live it out. Because they will never follow you if you are not living it out. They will never know who Jesus is if you are not living it out. It does not take much of a man to be a Christian. It takes all of him, all of him, the same person all the way through. Friends, this idea of integrity is that it means that, that every part of our life, every part of who we are, uh, the way that we build friendships, the way that we spend our money, the way that we entertain ourselves, the language we choose to use, uh, the attitude in which we go through life, the way that we work as an employee or as an employer, all of it, all of it, all of it will be soaked in the gospel of Jesus. That, we, that every decision, the way that we do life will be deeply motivated by our relationship with Jesus. This is what it means to have a life of Christian integrity. Being a person of integrity uh, is a principle found throughout the entirety of Scripture. There, it, it's rooted in this old Hebrew word. It's an ancient, ancient word, and it goes way back to the very beginning of the Scripture. It's this word, uh, to, to aims. I think it's how you pronounce it in English, to aims. And it literally means to be infused with truth. In other words, to follow Christ means that you're going to allow the truth of Christ to infuse every area of your life, even when you don't like it. Even when you don't want it. Well, God, I want to do what I want to do sexually. I want to spend my money the way I want to. I don't want to give my money. I like my money right here. But it means to be infused by God's truth in every part of who we are. 
one color soaked all the way through. One of the best examples uh, that I can see of this in the scriptures is this man named Joseph. Many of you guys know the story of Joseph. He was the son of Jacob. Uh, he had 12 brothers. Anybody remember this story? He was the youngest of them all, and he was dad's favorite. And because he was dad's favorite, he gets this coat uh, from his dad with many colors. Anybody remember this? Uh, Donny Osmond picked up on this theme uh, a lot of years later and came up with this musical called, uh, what is it called? Uh, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat or something like that. You remember this? Okay, we're, we're on the same page. Okay, well, this is right from this story. It literally is from this story. It's motivated by this story. And so Joseph, as a young boy, he was not loved by his brothers because he's his dad's favorite. And uh, the brothers say, hey, what we're going to do is uh, kill him. And so they're going to throw him in this pit. They literally throw him in this well thinking they're going to leave him for dead. But one of the brothers decides it's probably not cool to kill your brother. And so he pulls him out and he says, hey, let's make some money off our brother because it's much cooler to sell your brother into slavery than just to kill him. And so they sold him into slavery into the land of Egypt. And if you track through uh, Joseph's life through the book of Genesis, it is a horrible, horrible thing. One just bad thing after another bad thing and he ends up in Egypt he ends up in prison but because of his integrity eventually God lifts him God does something extraordinary in this guy and because he's doing it right eventually other people notice and he moves up the scale and we're going to pick up his story in Genesis chapter 39 and he is uh, the second in charge of a large portion of of Egypt at this point. Uh, he is the slave of a master, uh, but he rises to the top of this household and this master shows special favor to him. And here's how it begins in chapter 39. And what's crazy about this is that this story is right out of the script for Desperate Housewives. Just watch. Here it comes, okay? So it begins in verse 6, chapter 39, Genesis, chapter 39. It says, so he, who's he? Potiphar. Potiphar is this master over a huge chunk of Egypt at the time. And it says this, he, Potiphar, left in Joseph's care everything that he owned. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Man, that sounds really familiar. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, now listen. It says, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Now, most of you guys would be happy if you heard your wife say this every once in a while. You are so handsome and well-built. Come to bed with me. <laughs> Amen, gentlemen. I'm trying to help you out, boys, but you're not giving me much to work with in the room here. Okay. Moving on, it says, verse eight, it says this, but he refused, come to bed with me, but he refused, and then he said this, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, everything he owned, he has entrusted under my care, no one is greater in this house than I am, my master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife, and, and let me tell you something, uh, back in this day, uh, you don't get to be some rich guy's wife, a ruler in the land of Egypt, by being an old mule. I'm just saying. Wives are bought. Wives are traded for in this era, in this land. So she was a looker. And this was no easy invitation to turn down, right? 
come to bed with me. And then listen to what he says next. So he, he gives this rationale. Nothing has my ruler held for me except you. And then he says this. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Maybe you didn't catch that. How then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Let me, let me tell you something. Nobody would have known and nobody would have cared. Because this woman is powerful nonetheless. She is the wife of one of the highest rulers in the land of Egypt. And nobody would have blinked an eye. But it took something deeper inside of Joseph. He understood that his integrity meant being the same in darkness as he was in light. Being the same in secret as he was in public. There was something different driving this man. So listen to what happens next. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, come to bed, come to bed, come to bed. He refused. What is this? He, are you all with me? He refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. This was integrity. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of men uh, at this campus, at our video campus this week. I think there's a lot of men who would be going, honey, I couldn't help it. She's the boss. I mean, she just kept coming on. I mean, there's nothing I could do. I mean, I'm just, I'm just like, I'm a slave, but I got to do what the boss says. But it says that Joseph refused. There was something deeper inside of him. It says this. One day, Joseph walks into the house to attend to his duties. He's faithful. And then it says this. But none of the servants, servants were, were inside the house. So think about this. He walks into this palace. Where is everybody? First clue, you know something weird is happening, right? Right? It says this. Uh, he walks in. Where is everybody? He rounds the corner, and she caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. You, you see what's going on? He walks. Hey, where is everybody? Whoa, whoa. You don't have, whoa, 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 what, whoa. And she grabs on. And in that moment, he makes a decision what he's going to do. In that moment, either bow or run. And it says that he runs. He left his cloak with her in her hand and ran out of the house. Friends, what is the key to Joseph's integrity? I believe that he saw his life, his leadership, his position, his financial status, his family, his eloquence, his sexual purity, all of it as a holy stewardship that will one day be accountable to God. He saw his whole life infused with the truth of God. He saw every part of him. He didn't compartmentalize his faith. He said, every part of who I am belongs to God. And if we're going to live this out, then it doesn't take much of a man. It takes what? All of a man. Integrity comes from having a life that is completely surrendered to God. Because let me tell you something. There will come a time that you will have to choose which direction you are going to go. Integrity requires something of us. It requires a, a life surrendered. Let me tell you something, friends. I need this kind of integrity. If, if, if people are going to follow my influence, my leadership, and are willing to subject themselves to my spiritual leadership in their life, they need to have confidence that, that I'm not going to be found one day on the side of the road in a moral ditch, if you know what I mean. That, that I won't have my hand in the cash register that I'll be able to stand up against seduction of this world. You won't follow a leader who is otherwise, right? 
And let me tell you something, friends. You have to have the same kind of integrity in your life because your wife will not follow you if you are not a man of integrity. Your friends will not allow you to have influence in, your, in their life if you are not a man or a woman of integrity. Children will not follow parents and grandparents who are a sham. They will see right through it. It requires something of us. It does not take much of a man to be a Christian. It takes all. The decision comes when the pressure is on, right? It's easy to be good when you're sitting in church. Every part of you right now is going, I want to be that man. I want to be that woman. But it's when the pressure comes is when we leak. Anybody ever leak under pressure? Come on, anybody? Yeah, I remember when I was 21 years old, I decided uh, I was, uh, I knew everything. I decided I could do anything. And so I was, I had this little building company. I had done all kinds of little projects. I say to myself, I say, I'm 21 years old. I'm going to build a whole house from beginning to end. Every phase of it, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to build the whole house. And so I did. I started building and I put up the house and it's a beautiful three bedroom, two and a half bath. It's a big house. And I'm like, ooh, this is awesome. And I'm doing every part of it. And we get to the plumbing. My wife says, who's going to do the plumbing? I say, I'm going to do the plumbing. It can't be that hard. I mean, you ever see a plumber? It's like putting tinker toys together. It's just plastic, plastic, a little bit. It's fine. It's no big deal. I just know that the stuff has to flow one direction. That's it, right? You know, that can't be that hard, right? So I, I literally, I go to Home Depot and I buy all the stuff and I'm putting this all together. Three bedrooms, two and a half baths. I'm doing the whole deal. I get it all done. The inspector comes. How about those inspectors? Anybody? Well, well, he, he comes and he says, well, it looks pretty good, but have you done the pressure test? I'm thinking, pressure test? What are you talking about, pressure test? I've never heard of a pressure test. What are you talking about? He says, well, you got to do a supply line pressure test and you got to do a drain line pressure test. I said, well, I've never heard of this. How do you do this? So he says, well, you gotta, you got to fill the supply lines with pressure from the city and see if the doggone thing leaks, but you should use air, not water, because if you put water in there, it's going to ruin everything, right? I said, oh, okay, good. So pressure on the supply lines, I get it. I said, what do you do for the drain lines? He says, well, you got to literally cap up the drain before it hits the sewer system them, and then you fill the drains with water. It's the only way to pressurize all these drains. So you go up to the top of the house, and there are these little stacks that stick out of your house. Anybody know what I'm talking about? These little stacks? And that stack is tied to your to your drain line system. And so he says, you go up there, you fill that sucker up with water, and if it leaks, you're, 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 you're bad. If it doesn't leak, you're, you're good. So I get a hose out. I go up on the roof. I say, this is going to be great, because I'm great. I'm 21. I know everything. Okay, I'm good, you know? And so I get up on the roof. I take my hose up there. I literally start to fill the the, the drain system with water. And I'm up there for 15 minutes, then 20 minutes, 30 minutes. I'm thinking this dog online should be full by now. So I think to myself, I'm gonna go downstairs and I'm gonna check this out and see how this thing goes, right? So I go down off the ladder, get down to the house and I walk in the front door, every single dang joint in the whole house was flooded with water, everywhere, just a disaster. I find out later that at 21, you don't know everything, right? I didn't realize that there is, there's different temperature glues that you use for different times of the year. Anybody ever leak under pressure? Anybody? You see, it's when the pressure comes is when, it's this, when, when the decision needs to be made. When there is seduction coming your way is when you have to decide who you really are. It's when, when there's an opportunity to take something that is not yours is when you have to decide who you really are. It is when the pressure comes and people are going, which way you're going to go? That's when people will see who you really are. 
Because it's easy to put on a front like this. It's out there every day. It's when nobody's looking. It's when you're quiet and, and, and you can do whatever direction and, and those thoughts come and those, those temptations come. That is when the pressure is on and you will find out who you really are. But let me tell you something. It does not take much of a man to be a Christian. It takes all of you. Now I get it. We got people from all stages of your spiritual walk. And I'm just kind of opening the door and I'm showing you the backside. What the unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable is people who say they believe. People who say one thing. People who talk one way. But walk a different way. be like that. Decide what kind of man, what kind of woman you want to be. We're not going to be perfect. I tell you that. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, you're going to have to go somewhere else. But the world should see us trying with everything that we have to live out our faith. Letting, letting the, the relationship with Jesus and the Spirit of God infuse every part of our life every part.